Yes, what's going on everyone? Reece Silva from Elite Step and we're finally here with the Elite Step podcast. Now, I tried to do this, what, about a year ago now, just before COVID and got a couple of episodes in and it just didn't work. We've been in the mad last 12 months. Access to people just wasn't there, but I've seen a lot of people doing it via Zoom Built up my network a little bit and I thought, you know what, now's the right time to to get it rolling again. So here we are, episode number one. Now look, I'm going <laughs> to eventually at some point, I'm going to get a, a nice intro, some music, all that jazz, make it real fancy, but I just wanted to get started. So none of that today, we're straight into it, but excited for this one, real excited. The, the list, if you've not seen it on my Instagram one, if you don't follow me on Instagram, go check me out at Elite Step on Instagram or at Elite.step, I believe it is. But yeah, the, the list is crazy. I want to I wanna do something that's not currently available out there. So it's all about combat sports, as you would imagine. But I want to dive in strength coaches, nutritionists, psychologists, coaches themselves. So sports trainers in MMA and boxing. I'd like to do interviews with or podcasts even with with management teams and stuff like that so hopefully give you a real good insight into everything combat athlete so as i said whether it's the preparation whether it's the training itself hopefully dive in get a lot of opinions on it as well it's always about opinions i don't want anyone to feel like they have to say a certain thing so really really excited for it got a great list of people ready to roll um, as I say, you know, like people like Dave Coldor are going to come on, people like Charlie, Sonny Edwards, uh, got a, obviously other fighters from my stable as well, some great strength coaches, Ricky McFarlane, uh, we've got Cam coming on. Um, yeah, so it's going to be class. Uh, the big man, Phil DeRue, said he's going to jump on as well, so I'm excited for that one. But episode one, let's get a roll in. Today's episode. I wanted to go in with one of my boys, one of my favourite people in the industry, Adam from Enhanced Sports Performance. He's someone I've known for a little while now through uh, going to workshops and, and staying in touch and stuff like that. Really great guy, really good strength coach based up in Scotland. Um, that's his only downfall, to be honest, is that he is based up there and has a funny accent. But apart from that, we'll overlook it. Knows his stuff. Um, in this conversation, it was kind of mostly about the last 12 months in this crazy time that we've been in you know it was a year uh, yesterday at the time of release it would have been a year two days ago since we went into lockdown so speaking about that how it's affected him and the way he's done things and just diving a bit into getting back into training and what sort of stuff you should be doing uh, once gyms do reopen in a couple of weeks time so shout out to him hope you enjoy this episode don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to share it. Really excited, as I said. And as always, guys, if you've got any questions, just holler at me at elite.step on Instagram. It's probably the best way to get me. But if you go on to that, all my socials are on there. Uh, and just a quick one. It's my podcast. Kind of, I can big myself up and promote myself. My Unleashed program, again, eight weeks, GPP phase, return to gym phase for fighters is available now to buy on my shop. Again, if you go to my Instagram, click on the link, you can get a directly taken there. It's now only £25, so it's 50% off for the next sort of three, four weeks. I might go longer, I don't know, but 
Don't waste any time. Head on to it. It's eight weeks, two strength programs, two conditioning sessions per week aimed at getting your body prepped and ready for the rest of the year's worth of training. As I said, on my website, Unleashed, eight-week program, now only £25. Now we're done with that uh, bit of promotion for myself. Let's get into this episode, episode number one of the Elite Step podcast, hopefully episode number one of many. Ree Silver, Elite Step, sitting down with Adam of Enhanced Sports Performance. Enjoy it. Adam from Enhanced Sports Performance, how are you, mate? Good, my man, how are you? Yep, all good, bro. Cannot complain at all. Excited to have you on, episode one. You're the privileged position of being my first guest, so it's quite an honour for yourself, obviously. Definitely, mate. It's all down here, hell for, from here for you. Like, you can't get better. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So for the guys that don't know you or those who don't know you quite as well, just drop us a little bit of intro about yourself, a bit of background, how uh, you got to do what you're doing, how you sort of build that up over, say, like the last sort of three to five years. Uh, yeah, so like you said, I've been doing this about maybe three and a half years now. Before this, I was a, a prison officer. Uh, my brother is a kind of professional boxing coach and he asked me to come in and just show the guys the base lifts, the big three, deadlift, bench and squat. So I went in and did that, uh, really enjoyed it. He asked me to write a program, didn't know what I was doing. Um, so I designed the crap program and realised I need to, so I don't make a fool of myself, I better research this. And I started getting into that and then, yeah, just one thing led to another and then here I am, three and a half years later. That's a, that's quite an interesting backstory, actually, because normally, even for myself, people tend to say, oh, you know, I played sport and then got into it, was training myself. But yeah, you went from like the prison background and stuff like that. How was that for a change? Has, is there anything that you've done in that? I'm not sure if there is or not, but you've done in that job that's kind of set you up quite nicely for, for what you do now. Or is it just completely irrelevant? No, no, I would say it is quite relevant in terms of dealing with people. So like in the jail environment, you've got people from all walks of life. Like, you know I mean? Like financial uh, fraud is usually like your white collar people, a little bit older. Then you've got young people who are maybe in for assaults and stuff like that, with maybe a working class background. So it teaches you how to deal with all these type of people, which is great for coaching. That really translates well. You can connect with people on different levels. So yeah, no, it did help in that sense, definitely. Yeah, how, how, how important is that for you in terms of, you mentioned about um, sort of dealing with people. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes or misconceptions is that people forget that your athletes are just people as well, even though they're really talented and, and different mindset, they are just people. So how, how important is that part of coaching for you? And, and I guess how much time do you spend on like developing that side of, of it? That's of the utmost importance to me. That is like number one. Like, you can be the best coach in the world in terms of your knowledge base and in terms of programming, but if you can't kind of communicate with your athlete, it's, it's completely pointless. So uh, for me, that is like number one. Yeah, that, yeah, I completely agree. It's In terms of buy-in and stuff like that, you have to be a people person. It yeah. always cracks me up when you get even PTs who say they're not people's, uh, people persons. And it's like, if you're not, you're in the wrong job. So uh, definitely really important. We were just kind of talking off air a little bit and saying how like yesterday, I think it was, um, 
down here. I'm not sure if you guys up in Scotland were a little bit further behind or in front of us, but it's been a year since we went into lockdown yesterday. So 23rd of March, which is crazy. So, so a mad year sort of started off for us by essentially losing, losing our income and jobs. Uh, so how, how's the last year been for you from a business standpoint and a coaching standpoint? Hellish, man. It's been hellish. <laughs> nah, to be honest, at the start, it was, it kind of it goes through phases. Like, at the start, it was like, like a novelty, like you're on holiday for a bit. Yeah. So it wasn't like too much of a big deal. And then reality hits, then you're like, holy shit, what am I going to do for money? What am I going to, like, what are my athletes now going to do? This is a long time. Uh, and then, yeah, and then you just got to kind of, you just got to go with it. You can't wallow in it too much and be all down depressed about the situation. The situation is the situation. You just got to get on with it. So, yeah, it was kind of, it went through phases with me, but you just got like, so you just got to accept it. You've just got to, and kind of methods and kind of implement things where you can't, it's best for your athlete and best for your business. Yeah, 100%. So, sort of rewinding 12 months, um, in that first initial stage, I'm really interested actually to see how you did stuff because we've not spoke too much about this, but rewinding 12 months, how did you sort of tackle that first, that first long lockdown? So that three-month period, how, how often did you stay in touch with your athletes? Were you giving them too much guidance with their training or did you sort of just take a step back and say, look, this is new for everyone. Let's just chill and, and do whatever you're comfortable doing. I think at first I gave them a bit period like you take this break period have a little bit of a rest then after which realised obviously it's going to be a long period now so let's hit, hit the ground running uh, I've got a Facebook group with all my athletes in it so it was quite easy for me to kind of give them stuff in there give them pointers give them what to do uh, create like kind of mini competitions in there with boys doing runs and wanted to post like who was doing the best runs create that competitive atmosphere um, because you haven't got a drive at that point like they haven't got a fight date they don't know what's going on so you need to create that drive so I did that by having little competitions in the, in the group itself but yeah, that's kind of what I did what did you get up with how did you tackle it it was it was hard actually it was as you say it was kind of like the unknown where well initially it was only three weeks wasn't it so at the start we kind of thought fight dates would just stay as they were but obviously it went on for three months mm -hmm. I kind of just yeah just touching in maybe once a week um just dropping the messages just seeing how they are more than anything but leaving them to their own accord to be honest um didn't want to be too pushy with it and then towards the back end of it I think maybe about May time started doing more kind of online sessions via WhatsApp video or something like that just for the couple of guys that had a, a June date penciled in at the time. But obviously that got delayed to July and then got delayed again. Um, but similar to yours, tried to create that sort of um, competitive edge because that's what the athletes fly, thrive on. They need that competitiveness. Um, so it's so very, very similar to you. Did you end up doing any camps during lockdown or was your first fight scheduled once things were, were reopened? I can't quite remember. I don't know if I had one or not. I don't think so. I think everything just got completely shut down. Um, so I don't think I did. Maybe one, but I can't quite remember, honestly. Yeah. It's been a whirlwind this past year. All right, cool. So sticking with that kind of lockdown theme, um, <coughs> what did you find um, over the last 12 months uh, was kind of like the biggest stumbling block with things being closed, opening, um, with all the restrictions and stuff like that from a, from a strength and conditioning standpoint, where, what did you feel was like the biggest obstacle? 
from a development's perspective, the biggest obstacle is like developing the guy's max strength. You know what I mean? Like, not many people have 200k of weights kicking about in their house. So you've got to kind of accept that that's like if you if you maintain your strength during this period, that's a bonus. Like you've done very very well. So you've kind of got to focus on other areas that you can develop in the meantime. But yeah, that would probably be the number one issue was like, there is a lot of my guys that need that development and max strength and they're just, they're just not going to get it. Like you can do your temple work and you can do isometrics with a towel in the house and, and that kind of stuff. But you know yourself, it's not really the same as hitting a one RM or three rep max and something, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the isometrics there. <laughs> is that what you kind of, tended to that is that the route you went down in terms of that sort of out of gym programming for, for your guys what if you wanted to dive in a little bit about what a sort of typical session or programming style you use during that period so what i would do is like obviously keep your ramp protocol in for the warm-up and then move on to still be doing that uh plyometrics you can't probably do ballistics unless you've got a med ball or house uh but yeah keep your plyometrics in there um, low pogos and stuff I'm a big fan of or from your knees jumping from your knees to your feet big fan of that uh, and then move on to your isometric work I like as you know like you only get is it 15 degrees it's like kind of like for the isometrics the strength works 15 degrees each way so I program that like you do like say you're pushing up against the wall it'd be in very very tight then you go to a medium range and do it at a medium range and then you go to the end range. Just so you're working that whole kind of that whole kind of movement there. Uh, following that, they would just be doing some Tabata kind of stuff at the end, um, just maintaining maintaining their conditioning. So I like uh, what the boxing science guys do, the uh, burpee sprints. Mm-hmm. Burpee sprints, I'm a fan of burpee sprints, and obviously there's no need for um, any equipment there so I was just doing Tabata work with them to be honest that was kind of my protocol what about yourself? Yeah very similar Um, a lot of isometrics a lot of I kind of used it to do a lot of the what would you I guess define it as stability work single leg work so doing a lot of like single leg squats on the sofas and a lot of single leg RDLs just all the good movement pattern stuff where it's working more stability than strength Um, throwing in some isometrics as well as you mentioned to sort of keep the strength levels up as much as we can and then keeping one eye on gyms reopening and trying to keep that aerobic base built um, and doing a bit a lot of like lactate circuits and lactate buffering stuff because again you don't need any weights it was all body weight um so yeah similar to yourself in terms of that what did like your period um so we will fast forward to june time say and things are have a date when they're going to reopen what did the sort of weeks leading up to gyms reopening look like for you guys how did you then plan to prep them so when they're back in the gym they've not got that big uh jump from body weight to getting a barbell mm. on their back end and having that extra load so I, I did two things there firstly i like you mentioned their lactate work because i'm not training that's where you're going to get all that anaerobic lactate work in there and because they're missing that i liked using things like extreme isometrics and lactate buffering drills like you said holding squats and stuff like that um, just so it's not almost like a shock to the system when they go back in and start training because it's a long time off that and I'm sure some of them were hitting pads in the park and stuff but you know yourself it's not really the same as when you've got your coach there pushing you so I made sure that they're doing a lot of lactate stuff in the build up to it I also made sure to kind of point out like don't be running back and doing three RMs don't be like I implemented like a GPP phase mm-hmm. to kind of 
bring them back in slowly. A lot of goblet squats, a lot of that kind of thing. Just so they're, not, again, not a shock to the system. You're not going back. Oh, I used to do a 150k squat. I'm going to try that today. Well, guess what? You're not getting that. I mean, so you just got to be smart about it. Like, everyone was so, like, excited to get back into the gym. And I just wanted to make sure that that excitement didn't kind of cause injuries, essentially. Yeah, it was uh, it was funny, actually, because I, I did it myself. Gym's open. It's like, yes, I need to have a big session today. So it was straight on the trap bar um, and, and loading up. But actually, what I found was quite funny. I didn't lose any strength. I actually gained strength. And I think it was almost a little bit of that deload effect where your body fully mm. recovers and you actually go into a session at 100% where normally you may be only at 90% absolute max. Um, mm. So that was interesting. And a lot of my guys, actually, I'm not sure if you found something similar. Having that two months of not training or just training lightly gave the body a really good chance to recover, which they don't get because they're fighting and training 100% all the time. Did you, did you see yeah. that with guys as well? Yeah, a lot of my guys that were carrying niggles for ages, those niggles disappeared. And it just like reiterated the fact that rest and recovery is, is so, so important. And it's probably the number one thing that coaches and athletes get wrong the most. Yeah, I, I kind of use that now as an example of time when I'm de doing deload weeks with my guys. And they're like, yeah, but I want to train hard. I'm like, do you remember lockdown when you recovered and how good you felt when you came back? I was like, that's, that's what we're trying to do again in a shorter time frame. They're like, all right, okay, all right. So, yeah, blessing in that situation. Just rewinding a little bit, you mentioned when you were mentioning the, the lactate uh, work and you sort of commented saying how when they're not training as much, that's a good time to get that in. Um, if you wanted to touch a little bit on that and, and why that would be a good thing away from their heavy training schedules and sort of the benefits of that lactate work as well. Yeah, so 90% of the guys training that they're doing is going to be predominantly lactate just because of the duration of it uh, and the kind of way that kind of pad work happens and, and that kind of stuff. So I don't focus on it too much in camp because it's already been getting done. Like the biggest issue is when a fighter comes to me and says like their shoulders are burning out, that's quite common, or their legs burn out, then I'll specifically target those areas with uh, lactate buffering drills. Let's say holding a squat or two minutes on the battle rope followed by an isometric hold of dumbbells. Yeah. Uh, quite a lot. Um, but yeah, so I like to focus on it out with camp. And if there is any kind of problems that occur during sparring sessions where they're saying they're getting fatigued in those areas, then I'll address it kind of after, after they've mentioned it. Uh, otherwise, what I find is they just get too run down. If you're like lactate work is very important the system. So, if you're doing that, you're just going to get them run down. They're not going to recover in time. They're going to go into their sessions with their coaches and they're going to be burning out quicker. Then you're going to get abuse in the ear from the coaches. Like, what are you doing to my guy? You know what I mean? So you've just got to be smart with it and don't kind of throw it in there all the time. Just pick and choose your times when to do it. Especially going the day before, like a spa, a good spa, or even the day after. Like, be smart about your programming and know when to put it in there and when to take it out. 
Yeah, so it sounds like you take like a, a, a bird's eye view approach in terms of the, the training week for your guys. How how do you go about that in terms of planning the week overall? Do you take control of their training week or just stick to the S&C? How does the communication work, especially with MMA, who have got not just one coach, they've probably got three, four different coaches, a nutritionist. And how do you, as a strength conditioning coach, sort of not take charge, but make sure everything's tying in nicely and that the athletes get in the, the most optimal training schedule. Yeah, so like if in doubt, zoom out is like what I say. So you need to kind of look at the week as a whole and then look at the kind of camp progression as a whole. And the only way you can do that really is by communication with other coaches. If you think, if you are just like kind of got tunnel vision and you're focused on only S and C, then you're going to fuck up other parts of the camp. Like it's, it's like being a, a cog, you know what I mean? A cog in a machine. If you like, you need to work together. So you need to have that communication with coaches, and that's where like a lot of SNC coaches don't, because a lot of time there's a bit of conflict between the SNC coaches and the skill coaches. I feel like it's getting lesser now, or I hope so. But you need to build that relationship with them. So I like to speak to the coaches and find out like what they're doing, what days are they doing on, how hard are these sessions. Um, and then I'll program my sessions around it. Uh, I use just the, the basic traffic light set, uh, system. Red session being very, very hard. You've got your sparring. Amber session, green session, green session being like a recovery run. And so you don't want to be doing two others. Two ways to think about it. A lot of people front load their week by having like the toughest things like red and ambers all at the start and then you do the recover and then red and ambers again. I don't particularly like doing that. I like having it balanced and evened out during the week. Um, so I'll just put together, put together a basic timetable with everything written out, all colour-coded. Okay, we've got three red sessions. How are you feeling after that? Also, it's fluid. Like, it's always fluid programming. Like, things change. Like, maybe one athlete can handle doing four red sessions in a week. They can't. Well, in that case, we've got to tweak it. You know what I mean? And vice versa. So, yeah, you just got to kind of, if in doubt, zoom out and uh, communication. That's what I would say, mate. What about you? Yeah, exactly the same. I, I do like um, the sort of high-low method where you kind mm. of batch hard days together. Um, reason being, um, I'm similar to you, my preference is to have it spread out across a week. Um, mm. But what I find is that, especially with the MMA guys, they have a lot of hard sessions. So yeah. by spreading it out too much, they tend to find that they've got at least one hard session every single day. Uh, maybe mm -hmm. two. So I do try and like having almost like a lactate day, an aerobic day, which would be like your red and your green days and, and grouping them that way, just so yeah. the guys know, right, on this day, today is Tuesday, you can go hard. In all them sessions, go hard. Tomorrow is easy day. It's just a lot easier for them to, to comprehend rather than saying to them, right, in session one on Tuesday, go hard, but session two, you have to go lighter. It's just, you know, they, they just want it as easy as possible. So I do like that high-low method. Um, but in a perfect world, I, I would do what you've done and have it spread out and have certain days where you're going harder in the morning, maybe recovering in the evening and, and going from there. Um, you, you sort of mentioned the communication with, with the coaches and stuff like that. Like me personally, I've never had any well i've had one bad experience where i got called out in a change room we spoke about this before um mm. by a coach who sort of just started blasting snc just before a fight when i was doing the warm-up but apart from that i've been very lucky with the coaches i've worked with and that they're very open to snc and stuff like that i don't know and i don't want to get you in any trouble um but have you had any bad experiences or what's kind of your way of getting the buy-in from the coach rather than the fighter i'm very fortunate 
I'm like, I like yourself. I've only ever had one bad experience. And this guy was just like, old school as they come, you know what I mean? So it was more of a generational thing. Like he wasn't really at the cutting edge of kind of sports performance kind of thing. So that was my, my only kind of issue there. Uh, like I say, my, my brother is one of the boxing coaches at the, the gym, uh, Skyax. Um, and that's where a lot of my fighters come from. So I can speak to him. And then I've got a good relationship with the head coach, uh, a guy called Paul Keane. Um, and I can speak to him whenever I want. So, I'm, like I say, I'm, I'm very, very lucky that I have this. I have had incidents, not incidents, but I've got to like, create communication with other coaches. And it's just as simple as just sliding in their DMs. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know him personally. I just slid in his DMs and asked how he's doing, how the fighter was looking, if there's anything that I could do to help him. I think you've got to do in, like, go in with that kind of attitude and, and, and not be kind of, this is what I'm doing on these days. Um, just like that you know you've got to kind of there's, there's a respect there you've got to kind of respect the head coach and you've got there's a bit of give and take there hopefully so yeah go in and just ask him well, is there anything you want me to do and not the other way around not like this is what I want you to do like, that's just that's just going to end in tears so yeah, yeah. just build up yeah 100% I think what you said as well it's all about not not having an ego <laughs> Yeah. Yes, we know the importance of what we do as strength conditioning coaches and we can we can implement that. But it's knowing our place as well that it's head coaches up here and we're, you know, down down the pecking order as such. Um, and again, like you said, mentioning sliding the DMs or that, you, you can't have any shame in, in this uh, in this industry. Uh, Sonny always reminds me of it. Like um, when I first started out, I've said this a few times, I literally done exactly that, went on Instagram, Went in Leeds, looked up all the boxes, sent them all a DM, and Sonny always reminds me. He's always like, "Oh, you remember that time you slid my DMs and I just didn't reply?" And I was like, "Yes, I do. I do remember that." It's about three years ago now, I think, but it's funny how it works. But you can't have the shame. You have to do. You have to be out there. You have to introduce yourself to people from a fighter standpoint and from a marketing standpoint as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, especially for those getting into SNC in terms of I get. I don't know about yourself. I get asked a lot. How do I build up my profile? How do I start to target that that audience? How do I start getting fighters? And at the end of the day, and I know a lot of people maybe with a more of an old school attitude say, you know, it has to be formal. We have to email, blah, blah, blah. But for me, go on Instagram, DM them and ask them, you know, a free session or a trainer, can I come down to the gym and do some group sessions with a few of your fighters and, and go that way? Mm, 100%. That's like how I got... Um, Paul Craig, UFC fighter Paul Craig, I just I messaged him about his 5k time that he did. Like, and then I just built up a relationship there and started speaking back and forth. He realised that I'm not a fucking idiot. I might know what I'm talking about. So then we just build up a relationship. That's how I got Norman Norman Park from Northern Ireland. Again, just DM'd him, chatting about training. And it just built up there. You're right, you, you can't have an ego about it. Like, oh no, I don't. What if they don't message me back? What if Sonny robbers me? You, you can't have that. Yeah. Just, yeah. You just got to accept that. Just message them if you don't message you back fair enough there's plenty more fish in the sea and move on yeah exactly man. i totally agree Inter interesting one for you i'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here because part of what i want this podcast to be is not glorifying failures but making failing acceptable in the mm -hmm. social media world i think everyone's trying to live the perfect life that nothing goes wrong and everything goes goes 100 right just touching on it a little bit give us some examples of things looking back that you maybe from a, a strength and conditioning standpoint might have done wrong, might have made mistakes, how they affected you and how you sort of learned from them and improved them going forward. 
nothing. Been perfect. <laughs> I didn't expect that. Of course, flawless, flawless coach. <laughs> nah. So what I would say, I wait for that. Cards go past. Um, I had a big, massive focus on one factor, and that was strength. And I think that was just because that's the sexiest factor. Yeah. You know. So I would, I would kind of take time from, away from conditioning, take time away from mobility work and place a huge emph- emphasis on strength. One, because it just looks cool. Like doing one, uh, like hit a PB just looks cool. And two, because that was kind of my my strength. My strength was my strength. So I, I kind of needed to get away from that and realized like that's not what performance is about. It's just like, it's one pillar. There's a, there's a whole load of other pillars. So that was kind of one thing. Another thing would be just to touch on the social media aspect was, it's hard to put yourself out there on social media sometimes. So I had a very much, I wanted to prove that I knew what I was talking about. So I would make posts overcomplicated. I would use big fancy names. I would like, I, I would just, I just kind of, yeah, I want to show off essentially. And that was, that's a big mistake that a lot of guys start to do. Uh, you've got to realize who your audience is. You don't want to get athletes in. You're not want to get other strength and conditioning coaches in. So when you talk about all this shit, the athlete's just going to look at that post and be like, what the fuck are you on about? Like, what are you talking about? I don't understand any of that. I'm like, I'm a fighter. I'm not an S&C coach. So yeah, that was a social media mistake that I probably made that I see a lot of guys make. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Someone said to me a while ago, and they meant it as a compliment. They were like, Reese, you're so simple. Like, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, thanks for complimenting there somewhere. But it's what you were saying is just that all the posts I do now is just real simple. Again, like you, I saw other people out there and I thought, right, I have to do that. That's what coaches have to do. You have to use technical words. You have to make it complicated. Mm. But it's just not me. I've never been like that. It's not the way I talk. It's not the way I learn. I have to have something really simply broken down. I know some of the posts that I see, I have to read two or three times to sort of understand what's going on. So if you're a fighter, you're probably not reading two or three times. You're probably reading it, not understanding it and, and moving on. You're not going to relate to it. So I think that's, yeah, that's a really, really good point. And I think in terms of going back to what you said about the, from a strength standpoint, I did exactly the same. Like now looking back, very strength focused. It was all max effort lifting, whether that was a 5RM, a 3RM or a 10RM, it was all max effort. Whereas now I put a lot more emphasis on my speed work. Um, For me, I've said this a lot over the last kind of year or so that for me, speed is more important than strength. Um, that's my personal view because speed kills. And I've seen too many examples of athletes that can lift heavy, mm-hmm. but got, got pillow fists. And there's too many examples of people who don't lift weights at all and hit like a truck. So for me, there's something that's slightly not uh, black and white there. There's like a gray area where, but there's no research on that. It's just my, what I've seen through experience. Um, Going back kind of a little bit towards the COVID stuff and tying it in what we're talking about now, it's always, again, making the best out of a bad situation. The last year has been absolute shite. But is there anything over the last year you've learned from either a business standpoint, from a strength and conditioning standpoint that you've actually may not have learned without this last year happening and that you'll continue to sort of implement over the next 12 months? Yeah, like I mentioned, like the competition aspect, the power of that has been quite eye-opening to me. Like it gets everyone up and it gets everyone driving. Like the, it's, it's, it's the gamification of fitness. 
if you turn it into a game, people will play. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and everyone wants to win. So that aspect, I'll be taken and I'll be thrown in throughout camps. Um, whether it be telling somebody what another another one of my athletes has got, what his score is, or that, I'll, I'll keep that going. Certainly, one hundred percent. What about yourself? That, exactly that. I've noticed that as well. So I've been joining in myself actually um, in conditioning sessions because I can't get to the gym. So when I go down to Sheffield and do their S&C days, so we normally do conditioning in the morning, they'll have a few hours break and then they'll come back. But I've been jumping in as well just to get my runnings in. And one, from a buy-in standpoint, because the guys are now seeing me push the pace that they're pushing and be able to handle myself and not be left behind I think they almost respect me a little bit more because they know that I can do it and in terms of creating buy-in I've noticed that go up a little bit just by joining in and holding my own own on them runs Um, and again the competitive edge we're all doing it as a group now Um, and so in terms of like speeds uh, I'll give you an example. We were doing sprints the other day and John's a big guy. Sonny's obviously a lot lighter and Sonny was rinsing it, almost maxing out the treadmill. John had a little glimpse and was like, fuck it, if you're doing it, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. So his legs are like going, he's barely staying on, but it's just that it's just that com- competitive edge. It's getting those extra 10%ers out, which makes a big difference when you're doing that over and over and over again. So yeah, I definitely agree with that, that competitive edge as well. Just um, again, gym's opening up. What has he got now? Three weeks, two weeks, Monday. So can't come soon enough. But for guys that are going to be going back to the gym, um, let's say, for argument's sake, they've got uh, a four-week period to get some prep work in. They've not got a rush for fight dates and anything like that. What would you do in terms of giving them advice, what they can do over a four-week period, almost like a sort of coming back to gym and getting their body ready for more advanced training to come later down the line? Yeah, I would say kind of resist the temptation to throw that barbell on your back, resist the temptation to to see how strong you are. Do a kind of four week GPP phase, general physical preparedness phase. Look at things like um, sled pushes, sled drags. Um, stick to things like goblet squats, so you're not holding the spine. That kind of thing until you get back into the rhythm. At, until you get kind of that foundation back now it won't, it won't you don't necessarily need to do a solid four weeks but like you'll get back muscle memory you know what i mean it'll you you come back quite quickly but yeah resist uh, kind of resist that ego a little bit yeah what about from a conditioning standpoint where where can they tie that into their strength work what sort of stuff should they be looking to do uh i like to micro dose at the start so short and sharp because um, I think if you if you start to go a bit too hard for too long, you'll get fatigued very quickly because the body isn't used to doing it. So I would say just short, sharp, 10, 20-minute bursts at the end of sessions is, is, is enough for just now. Then get into your longer, like your two-minute sprints and like those kind of things where it's really taxing and really pushing you. Get into that a little bit later on in, the, in that four-week period. Yeah, I've just a uh, question just popped into my head. I'm going to ask it. It's my podcast, and it's all for my benefit, so I'm allowed. Um, in terms of your your guys, how how many times do they do they run a week? Um, let's say for well, I guess it'll be different for boxing and MMA. So you could touch a little bit on on that the difference between those two as well. So a lot of the time, one of my guys runs basically every day, but that is a mental thing for him. He mm-hmm. can't. You know what I mean? So you got to take that into consideration. There's times where like guys will be like, "Adam, can I do this?" I'll be like, "Do you want to do it?" Like, 
And you're like, yeah, they want to do it, so let them do it. As long as it's not going to be a detriment to them, as long as they're not doing anything crazy. Um, but I say two to three times a week, mm-hmm. one of which being um, that kind of recovery run, nasal only breathing for 40 to 60 minutes, nice slow plod, very boring, but it's good. So I would say that that's why I like two to three times a week, uh, maybe two sprints two sprint sessions and one kind of longer city set. And in terms of boxing or MMA, obviously you're, you're going to need a bigger aerobic base for boxing, but I'm more kind of lactate for uh, MMA. But it will more than likely depend on the background of that fighter, the strengths and weaknesses of that fighter. Yeah, 100% I agree, mate. It's very similar to me. It's all athlete and gym specific. Uh, for example, when I started going down Steel City and, and working with more of those guys, like they never gas out. All of those guys do 12 rounds easy. So it would be absolutely stupid for me to go in and go, right, you're going to change this, 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 this. Um, it's sort of seeing what they do and just adjusting those those small things. So, yeah, yeah, good stuff. So last two questions, and these are going to be a common theme throughout the podcast. Um, so number one, and you can have a few seconds to think about it if you need. If you were to design your perfect fighter, um, well, I guess one, would it be an MMA fighter or a boxer? And what three qualities would you put as your top three? So my favourite sport is MMA, so it has to be an MMA fighter. Uh, three qualities, right. So one would be conditioning, because there's many a fighter over the years that has literally just won fights on being able to, being able to push the base. So one would be conditioning. The second would be mental toughness because that is something that you can't train. Like, you've either got quitting in, in you or you don't, you know what I mean? So it's very hard to train that out of a fighter. So mental toughness. The third, oh, this is a toss-up. It's either like a granite chin, again, can't, <laughs> right? Like, like, just an unbelievable chin, or having one-punch knockout power. Like, that fucking death touch. Yeah. And it's something that you cannot train. So I like looking at it that kind of way. Just these genetic freaks. That's what I want. What about yourself? Do you know what? It's very similar to mine. I definitely, definitely go mindset and conditioning top two. Easy. And then that third one, yeah, you're open to, yeah, knockout power would be good. Um, or just like unbelievably skillful. Just like, yeah. uh, like, uh, like a Lomachenko kind of skill level type thing. Um, that would be nice. But again, if you've got someone who can walk forward with a granite chin um, and do that for 12 rounds with a strong mindset, they might give Loma some hard days as well. So we'll see. And then the last one, mate, and this one, this one's a bit interesting, actually. I wrote it down a little while ago and I kind of thought it's kind of open to interpretation a little bit as well. But if you had a magic wand and you could change anything about combat sports, right? whether that's a rule, whether that's uh, the way they do weigh-ins, whatever it is, if you could change one thing about uh, combat sports, what would it be and why? So for MMA, it'd be the scoring system. Mm. But I just feel like it's a boxing scoring system. Mm. So I would change that. Uh, I'm just going to have to pick a few. Sorry, I'm, I'm breaking yeah, the rules Yeah, no, you here. go, you go. <laughs> Another one would be weigh-ins because... That's definitely the most dangerous thing about the kind of whole fighting. It's not much in the face, it's the kind of wins. Um, and the last one, no, nah, probably be it. those would be the big two. Wayne's, yeah. Wayne's definitely, and the scoring system for MMA, which is yeah. just shite. The, the, yeah, get, rid of the, get some good judges in. 
Yeah, the scoring system is a really interesting one. I think that's something that has to change. Um, I know they're starting to change it a little bit in terms of you don't just get scored positively because you take someone down um, and mm. stuff like that. But there's still a lot of lot of room for manoeuvre there. But I think MMA is a lot younger sport anyway, isn't it? So I think over the yeah. next few years, you'll probably see, uh, see that changing as well. Um, no, that's great. Adam, just before we wrap up, just let everyone know where they can find you. Anything you want to sort of promote on here? Fire away. I'll give you a world exclusive. That. Oh, go on then. I'm interested. I don't know if I even know this, but let's go. Uh, I will shortly be opening Enhanced Sports Performance Center. This will be a custom design performance center in Dundee. So anyone listening, if you want to come up and have a look around, have a wee training session, more than welcome to. And you'll find me on Instagram at Enhanced Sports Performance. I'll definitely, uh, definitely be coming down myself, a hundred percent. I've, uh, I've seen a sneak preview of it, and it looks unreal. So definitely uh, looking forward to getting down. Good man, good man. Can't wait to have you. Cheers for your time, Adam. Appreciate it. And that's a wrap there.